nice. I like this little small group. I don't get to preach to small groups too much, but I like it. And I, I asked Liam what you guys had been talking about or if there was anything you were pushing into, and he said, you guys just started a series on the Holy Spirit. And so I love the Holy Spirit. I love to talk about the Holy Spirit. I love to encounter the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> I guess we're going to start with one verse and just see where we end up. Is that okay? Come on. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Romans fourteen seventeen. It's about the Holy Spirit, and it's about the kingdom, and here's what it says. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people know this verse. It's a really famous verse. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So all of the kingdom is in the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, when we talk about his presence, his whole kingdom is there. So if we are in connection with the Holy Spirit, we are in connection with the kingdom. The interesting thing about this verse for me, though, is that the next verse, like a lot of times we read these really important verses that matter a lot to the church that are really powerful for the church. And we read this verse and we don't realize that there's more around it that actually helps us understand what this is saying. But the kingdom of God's not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then it says this, he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. This is such a crazy verse to me. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Most of the church is good with righteousness. They like it. They're all about it. They're really good with peace. They love peace, but they struggle with joy. A lot of people struggle with joy. I know this because I was a pastor for four years, and I was super grumpy. I was super frustrated. I was very depressed. I was very struggling. I just wasn't joyful. I wasn't a happy Christian. I wasn't a happy pastor. I was a grumpy pastor. And I actually had one time God told me, he said, you know, John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. He said, you think it means God so hated the world. And I was like, whoa. I do. I think God is mad at the world. And I was a pastor. I was a pastor for four years when God had to show me, I'm not actually angry. I don't really hate the world. I love the world. Are you guys with me? Yeah. I just want to make sure I'm not just, I, I just want to show you the importance of this. I was a pastor for four years, and I realized, oh, God actually loves people. And I didn't know that I didn't know that until he showed me, like, Seth, you think God, you think I hate people. You think the Bible says God so hated the world that Jesus stepped in and protected the world from God's hatred. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I thought that. And so I've been on this journey. I've been on, whoa, sorry. I've been on a journey for 11 years to discover that God is not angry that God is not mad, and that God is actually really, really joyful. Like, one of the things I've, he's shown me about joy, and then we'll come back to this verse, is that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is holy. Like, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. So when we think about Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, we have to think holiness, and if joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, it means real holiness is joyful. And most of the church thinks real holiness is like serious and grumpy and raw and just stressed out. But real holiness is joyful. That means unjoyful is unholy. And this verse right here, it says, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. That means it's not acceptable for Christians to be not joyful. It's unacceptable to God for us not to be joyful. 
There's only a few times in the Bible where it says this is God's will for your life. This is God's will for us. One of them is in 1 Thessalonians. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And sometimes I go to churches and people come up and they're like, can you pray for me to know God's will? And I'm like, I'll tell you what it is right now. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. And when you do that, you'll figure out what God has for you. You'll figure out what God wants for you. But rejoicing is a really important deal in the kingdom. This verse says, without joy, it's absolutely unacceptable to God to not live in joy. And then it says this. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of the church, the world looks at a lot of the church and does not approve of them. A lot of the planet looks at the church and wants nothing to do with the church. They don't approve of the church. This verse is saying there's actually a place where the world can look at us and go, wow, I approve of you. And I think a huge part of it is when we're actually happy, when we're actually joyful. When the church is joyful, the world will look at us and go, wow, I approve of this. I approve of you. The word approved, though, in the Greek language is such a crazy word. It's the word dokinos. I don't know if that's the proper way to say it because I don't really know Greek. But I know how to look it up and I know how to, like, study it. Dokinos. And here's what, it, here's what that word was. So in Rome, way back in the day, around this time, they, they had people who were the money changers. So like you would bring your currency and they would exchange money with you and they would like, you give them whatever, dollars and they give you Australian dollars, right? Or dollars, pounds. So they were money exchangers. So when you came to Rome, when you came in, you actually had to exchange your money so you could get their currency so you could make transactions and purchase things and do business and eat food and all of it, right? You have to have currency to make any kind of transaction from in this kingdom. You have to have their currency to transact inside that kingdom. And so the word dokinos came because there were certain people that when you came in and they traded you money, you would exchange your currency for their currency, but what they would do is they would shave off a little bit of the metal. So like they would just shave off a tiny bit and keep it. And then they'd, they'd, they'd give you money, but they were actually robbing you because they were giving you money that wasn't the full weight. So like nowadays, it's like you can't just shave off part of a quarter and say, here, like it doesn't really matter. What are you going to do with the shavings, you know? But these guys would shave it off. It's kind of like what, like I used to sell drugs, so it's kind of like, here's your bag of drugs, but we would always keep a little bit. You know what I mean? So, like, if we bought a pound of something, there's a lot of kids in the room. If we bought a pound of something, we'd keep just enough so that when we sold, we'd keep just, you know, tiny bits. But over time, it built up, right? And it's like, wow, we can make 500 extra dollars today because we've kept a little bit from each of these transactions. So that's what these people were doing. They were ripping people off, robbing people by making transactions, exchanging currencies, but keeping a little bit. Then they'd melt it down, make more coins, and they would just have all this extra money. So they're robbing people. But dokinos were people that were known to only exchange full weight currency. So if you came to Rome, if you came to Greece, if you came anywhere in this kingdom, and you showed up and you wanted to exchange money. The only people you wanted to exchange anything with were the Dokinos people. It's the only people you wanted to work with because if you gave them your money, they were going to give you actually the real transaction, the full weight currency. You weren't, they weren't going to rip you off. They weren't going to rob you. They weren't going to keep a little bit back. They weren't going to take your money and give you less. You, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like... These people were really important back then because these were the only people you really wanted to do any business with. And so what this word is saying is the church is supposed, the world is supposed to come to the church and go, 
You have a currency in this kingdom that I need that currency to be able to transact from that kingdom to mine, from that world to mine, from this company into my life, whatever. You have a meal, you have a sandwich, you have whatever. And so you got a falafel. We, man, I really want your falafel. I have to have your currency to be able to get what you've made into my life. Does that make sense? But the world is supposed to look at us and go, I approve of you. You're not trying to rip me off. You're not trying to scam me. You're not trying to take what I have to bring you and make an exchange and give me something. It's like if the world comes to us and goes, I have issues. Can somebody help? And they're like, here's my issues. Here's my problems. Here's my situations. Here's my disease. Here's whatever. And they're like, here, here, here. Here's my currency I've been dealing in. Can you please exchange that for me? Because I'd like to make transactions with your kingdom that you're a part of. But I need to make sure what you're going to give me is actually going to be in a fair exchange. Are you with me? Most of the church, though, the world comes and says, here's my stuff. And the, world's like, and the church is like, righteousness, maybe a little bit of peace, maybe not very much peace. So we don't have enough peace to actually exchange for your depression. We definitely don't have enough joy to be exchanged for your depression. And so most of the world comes to the church looking to make an exchange so they can make transactions in the kingdom, and they end up getting ripped off by the church. And when the church is not joyful, the world looks at us and goes, I don't want to do any business with you. Dokinos are the people that the world looks at and goes, I can trust you. I can trust you to make an exchange with me, and you're not going to rip me off. And what this verse is saying is like, Look, the world wants happy Christians. The world wants joyful Christians. The world wants to look at Christians and go, wow, you're joyful. I approve. I want to work with you. I want to transact with you. So joy is a big deal. Joy is a really big deal. <clears throat> one of the verses, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews 1 verse 9. Here's what it says. Are you guys with me? You good? Okay. I just, I was just here. I was like praying like, Lord, what do we, what do you want to deposit here? And like, joy, just joy. He likes joy. One time I was praying, I was, I don't know, like I was talking to God about joy and he goes, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So without joy, we're weak. If you know the story of Samson, Samson was born, and they, God told his parents, like, don't, don't ever cut his hair. He's supposed to defeat all the Philistines. He's supposed to deliver the whole country. He's here to deliver the whole nation. He'll only be able to do that if you don't cut his hair. He'll be stronger than every enemy if you don't cut his hair. He'll be more powerful than every soldier that comes against him. He'll be able to defeat whatever comes against him and save the whole country as long as you don't cut his hair. You remember the story? Samson's like a kid's story, but it's really good for adults. The Lord showed me that Samson's hair was the source of his strength. As long as he didn't cut it, he was untouchable and unstoppable to every enemy he faced. But as soon as he got his hair cut, he lost all his strength, and the enemy comes in, pokes out his vision, ties up his hands, and makes him spend the rest of his life walking in circles. And because he let them cut off the source of his strength, he lost his vision, he lost his ability to serve God, and he ends up serving the enemy, walking in circles, going around and around, going nowhere the rest of his entire life because he let the enemy take away the source of his strength. And if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then joy is as important to us as hair was to Samson. And if we want to be untouchable and unstoppable to every enemy we face, we need to make sure and protect the joy of the Lord. But he told me, he goes, look, this is not just some joy. This is the joy of the Lord. This is knowing that our Lord is joyful. It's not my joy that's my strength. It's not your joy that's your strength. It's not 
the joy of the amount of money in my bank account, that's my strength. It's not my joy. It's not anyone else's joy. It's his joy. And I've got to know if I want to be strong, if I want to be powerful, if I want to be effective, if I want to stop enemies, if I want to rescue countries, if I want to do what I'm supposed to do and not get taken out by the enemy, then I have to make sure and be aware that my Lord is joyful. He's a happy God. He's a joyful God. We are the joy that was set before him. The joy is the whole reason he went to the cross. For the joy sent before, set before him, he endured the cross. Why did he go to the cross? So he could have joy. So he could have us. All right, so Hebrews 1.9. We're not going to go too long and then we'll just pray. Hebrews 1.9, it says, You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Some translations say hated evil. You've loved righteousness and hated evil. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Some versions say more than everyone else around you. This is a crazy verse. This says, if you love righteousness and hate evil, God will dump oil on you and rub it into you that makes you more joyful than everyone else in Melbourne. The happiest people in Melbourne are the ones that get a supernatural anointing of joy. It's an anointing that God has. He's like, you know what? I'm looking to make people really, really joyful. And what's crazy is he's looking for people who hate evil. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in the world right now, there's a lot of evil. In my country right now, there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of bad stuff happening. My whole country's in uproar. My whole country is crazy. Everyone's crazy. Everyone hates each other. They're all nuts. And you can see it in their face. They're like just full of, like, oh, wow, you must really hate all the evil going on. It's almost like the more angry they are, the more you recognize how much they hate evil. Does that make sense? Like, wow, we hate all this stuff that's happening at the border. And they're like, I hate evil. We hate evil. We, we get so angry because we hate evil. But this is saying God's looking for people who hate evil so he can actually make them joyful. It's like how do you recognize a person who really hates evil? They're like, they're more happy than everyone else. Like, wow, how did you get so happy? Oh, I'm full of hatred. I'm so full of hatred for all the bad stuff happening in the world. Why? Because when we really hate the evil that's going on in the world, what does God do? He says, you know what? Let me make you so joyful you become a Samson and you can actually do something about the evil that you hate. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like, hey, I want to make you so joyful that you can actually, you're strong enough to solve the problem that you hate. Are you with me? The crazy part for me is this, this word right here, hated evil. In Proverbs 8.13, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So here's what's so wild. If the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, and if you hate evil, love righteousness and hate evil, God anoints you with the oil of joy. That means God is looking for people who love righteousness and fear him. And so people who truly fear God get anointed with the oil of gladness. So how do you recognize a person that hates evil? They're more joyful than everyone else. How do you recognize a person that fears God? They're more joyful than everyone else. The fear of the, fear of the Lord is supposed to actually make us really, really joyful. The oil of joy is the anointing God has for people who fear him. The oil of depression is the anointing the devil has for people who fear him. Can I just be totally honest with you? There's a lot of Christians that really are nervous about joy or they don't like joy. And they want to be grumpy. 
and they want to be mad at the world. And they want to be angry at everybody that's got issues and got problems. And they want to be mad about all this stuff. And God's saying, if you're really mad about it, if you're really angry about it, if you really hate it, if you really fear me, I actually want to make you so happy that you're happier than everyone else. I want joy to be what marks you and makes you different from everyone else in the entire planet. So how do we get the fear of the Lord? Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. I'm just going to show you one more verse. This is so good. Here's what it says. If you, O Lord, should count sins, O Lord, who could stand? So this is like one of those rhetorical questions in the Bible. God, if you kept track of my sins, if you counted my sins, who could stand? No one. If God counted my sins, I could not stand. If God counted your sins, you could not stand. If God counted anyone's sins, no one could stand. That's the answer to the question. Oh, Lord, who could stand if you counted sins? Nobody. Then it says this. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So how do people get the fear of God? They get the fear of God when they realize how forgiven they are. When they realize God's not keeping track of their sins. When they realize God's not mad. How do you get the fear of God put in you when you realize God's not angry at you? There's a lot of kids around here. I have three kids. I love kids. I never want my children, like I don't want my little, my little sweet kids. I never want them to, if they mess up, I don't want them to be afraid to come to me. I want them to be afraid to stay away. So if my son does something wrong, I want him to go, oh, no, I have to go to my dad. I'm afraid to stay away from my dad. That's the fear of the Lord. I want them to avoid sin, to avoid bad choices. I want them to avoid that not because they're afraid I will hurt them, but because they're afraid to hurt me. I want my kids to grow up and go, you know what? I'm not going to do that because it would hurt my dad. I'm afraid to hurt my dad, so I won't do that. That's the fear of God. God's not going to hurt me because he's forgiven me. So now I don't want to hurt him because I love him so much, I actually don't want to hurt him. And when we have that, when we realize, oh, Jesus, you've forgiven me. Oh, Jesus, you're not mad at me. Oh, Jesus, you're not keeping track of my sins. Oh, Jesus, you're not counting any of this stuff against me. It gives us the fear of God. Now I want to protect him. Now I want to protect his heart. Now I want to protect our relationship. And that's the fear of God. And when I have the fear of God and I want to protect our relationship, not because I'm afraid he's going to hurt me, not because I'm afraid to go to him. I'm afraid to stay away from it. When I have that, he goes, okay, now I can give you the joy that makes you happier than everyone else. And in Romans, the Bible says, actually a few places in the Bible, it says, oh, how joyful. Oh, how happy. Oh, how, oh, the bliss of those whose sins are forgiven. Oh, the bliss of those whose sins are removed. My little son, he's six years old, and he is so funny. He loves the Bible. He absolutely loves the Bible. Like this boy, he already owns four Bibles, and he's like, Dad, I want that Bible that you have. I have like this really sp special, uh, it's a 26 translation Bible. So it has 26 translations in one book. It's only the New Testament, and so you like read a verse, and then it shows you all these different translations so, like, it's powerful, and it's thick. Now, it doesn't show all 26 all the time because some of the translations are very similar. So if they're too similar, it doesn't put them in there. But you can, like, read a half a sentence and then read all the different translations. It's amazing. And my son is like, oh, Dad, I want the 26 translation Bible. And so I told him, I said, all right, buddy, for three months, if you read a, a verse every day, he can't even really read. He's learning to read in school. He's like, Dad... I want, 
I want that Bible so much. I said, okay, read a verse every day for three months, and I'll give you the Bible. So he's like two and a half months right now, and he has a little checklist, and he's checking every single day when he reads a verse. And before he goes to bed, he's like, we have to read a verse. And he takes his Bible, and everywhere I've circled something or underlined something, he goes to that place, and he underlines it, and he highlights it, and he's, he's like gone. He's like goes through like, I think he's in like Ruth right now, and he's like, Dad, I just highlighted the whole book of Ruth. And you can't even, like, you can't even read the words anymore because he, like, highlights orange here. Then he flips the page and does it pink. And it's like, buddy, oh, man. He just, he loves the Bible. His teacher in kindergarten comes to me and goes, this kid, he brings his Bible to school. And when we do reading time, he's got all the other boys reading the Bible. And they're all bringing their Bible, and they're all reading it. And they, like, can barely read, you know? So they're like, it takes forever. And they're like... They're trying to figure out words, and the teacher's helping them. But my son has this deep love for the Bible, and I'm fully encouraging it. I'm fully pushing it. Like, yes, buddy, I'll reward you. I'll give you Bibles. He's got, like, he has big study Bibles. He just, it's amazing. He's got sticky notes in him. He's got mark, bookmarks in him. He, he highlights, he underlines, he does it all. He loves it. And the other day, he comes to me, and he goes, hey, Dad, what's the most important verse in the whole entire Bible? I want to know the most important verse. And I said, buddy, it's three verses. He goes, all right, what are they? And I said, Hebrews 8, 11, 12, and 13. And he's like, all right, let's look it up. So I, I read it to him. We looked it up, and I read it to him. Here's what it says. Verse 11 says, none of them, this is, I think verse 11 is the biggest promise in the whole entire Bible. There's some really big promises, but this one is really huge. It says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Why is this such a big promise? Because if you shrank this promise down and just put Melbourne in there, it's big. No one shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for everyone in Melbourne shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. This verse is, we can't shrink it down to just our cities. Like, I can't shrink it to L.A. I can't shrink it to California. We can't shrink it to Melbourne or Australia or the United States. This is saying, all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, because I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. I said, buddy, this is the most important verse, and here's why. Verse 13. In that, he says, a new covenant. He's made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I said, buddy, this is the most important verse in the Bible because this is the covenant we're in with God, that God does not remember our sins. God does not keep track of our sins. He has no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. He doesn't keep track of our sins. He's not angry. He's not grumpy. He's not mad. You know, I know you guys talk about righteousness. The crazy thing about righteousness is there's a lot of people in the church that think, they think, God sees me as righteous even though I'm not. But can I just tell you what God sees? That's correct. So if God sees us as righteous, he's correct. So you, we can't say things like, God sees me as righteousness, but I really know the truth. No, he knows the truth. You don't. When God says, I see you as righteous, I don't keep track of your sins, I have no file in my computer with your sins on it. I have no file of your bad decisions. I took the file, I dumped it in the garbage, I emptied the garbage, and then I can't find it. It's not on the hard drive. I wiped the hard drive clean. I broke it. I burnt it. It's gone. Are you with me? I told my son, I said, buddy, this is the most important verse because most of the church thinks God keeps track of their sins because they don't know what covenant they're in. And they think God's grumpy and they think God's angry and they think God's mad. And if we think God's grumpy, angry, mad because he's keeping track of all the things that we've done wrong, then, oh, no, we have a grumpy God and we have no strength because a joyful God is the one that gives us strength. So my little boy, you can ask him. He's six years old. You, can, you could ask him, August, what's the most important verse in the Bible? He'll go, it's three. Hebrews 8, 11, 12, and 13. He loves it. That's, that's the verse that gives us joy. That's the verse. He's not 
remember, he doesn't remember our sins that gives us the fear of God that causes us to hate the things that put him on the cross, hate the things that hurt his heart, hate the evil in the world, and then he goes, ah, you know you're forgiven. Let me make you more joyful than everyone else. Ah, you know you're forgiven. Now you fear me. If we're afraid for God to hurt us, that's not the fear of God. It's the fear of punishment. If we're afraid for God to hurt us, we forgot what he did on the cross. All right, now for real, one more scripture, I think. This is really, really important for how we, not just how we see ourselves, but how we see the world around us. How we see everyone out there that's not in here. I was in a country one time. It was a communist country that didn't like America. And I was there visiting and we're walking, me and my friend are walking down this, this road by the beach. And we come up to this building. And every 20 feet on the building is an armed soldier. So, like, these dudes, they're military. So, they're all in green. And they all have AK-47s. And they're every 20 feet. So, like, here, here, you know, there was a bunch of them. They surrounded the whole building, and they're all on the sidewalk. And we're walking. I'm like, man, there's a whole bunch of soldiers guarding that building. I wonder what that building is. And I asked my friend, I'm like, bro, what is that building? Like, why is it so heavily guarded? And he goes, oh, that's the United States Embassy. I said, why is it so guarded? He goes, oh, because if one of the citizens of this country steps foot on that sidewalk, no, they're no longer in their country. Now they're in America. Does that make sense? Like, we have embassies all around the world. We have ambassadors that live in the embassies, work in the embassies. Some of them live there, some of them work there. But we have these embassies that are actually a small chunk of the United States inside that country. I'm sure we probably have one here. I don't know where, but I'm sure we have one. We have them all over. I've been to the one in Amsterdam. I've been to them. I go there just to remind myself what I'm here to do and what the Christians are called to do, how we're called to be seen to the world because the Bible, Paul actually calls us ambassadors for Christ, right? So we're walking, and there's all these soldiers, and I'm like, this is crazy. And my friend goes, the reason they guard it so heavy is because if one of their citizens tries to get up there, they just shoot them dead. They just like... They have machine guns, AK-47 machine guns, and they will not let their citizens step foot onto the sidewalk because then they're no longer under communism. Now they're under a de democratic republic, and now they don't operate under the laws. Now they're not subject to the laws of communism. They're subject to the laws of America. So they want to protect that. Are you with me? All right, maybe two more verses. This is so cool. I love this, this verse right here. This is um, 2 Corinthians 5.20. It says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what is he saying? He's saying we are ambassadors for Christ that are supposed to go get people who live in a different kingdom, who operate by different rules, who live under a different government, who have a different king, who have a different set of laws. We're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ that says, hey, come join our country. Hey, come join our government. Hey, our government, we want you to join our government. Come be reconciled to our king. We have a really great king. We have a really amazing king. We live in an amazing kingdom. We want you to come over here. We want you to get over here. We want you to come join our kingdom. You can come over and join our kingdom. That's our job as ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. That means we're supposed to come in contact with people, and when they come in contact with us, when they come into our building, when they come into our home, when they come around us, they actually get around heaven's rules, heaven's laws, heaven's operations, and we represent Christ to them on the earth. Does that make sense? But verse 19, right before that, here's what it says. Actually, no, we're going to do 18. It says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us, to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So our ministry, the ministry here of the Christian people is to bring people back to God, bring people into our government, into our kingdom. 
right, into his kingdom. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, I know I've said a whole bunch. I've said a whole bunch, and I'm trying to get and wrap this all up in one nice, neat package, and we're going to pray. I promise we'll get there. I'm just trying to get there. But this is saying, how do you recognize a real ambassador for Christ? They have the word of reconciliation. What's the word of reconciliation? God's not keeping track of your sins. This isn't just for the church. This is for everyone. God's not keeping track of their sins. And when we realize God's not keeping track of my sins, now I'm joyful because, oh, the bliss of those whose sins are forgiven. Oh, I live in a kingdom that is righteousness, peace, and joy. Oh, you look at me and go, wow, you're not trying to rip me off. Wow, I want that. Wow, I would love to join your kingdom. Wow, I would love to make transactions from your kingdom. Wow, how, oh my goodness. They're supposed to look at us and say, that. And we go, hey, we're an ambassador. We can actually let you in. We could actually help you become a citizen. We could actually help you come move into our country and live in our country and operate under our laws. And the only thing that is supposed to come out of our mouth, the only thing that is the word of reconciliation, the only message that brings people into the kingdom is this one. God's not counting sins against you. Not just against us. Come on, you know what that means? A grumpy Christian who keeps track of their own sins, a grumpy Christian who's keeping track of the world's sins, who's mad at the world because of their sins, a grumpy Christian is not an ambassador for Christ. Only the people who carry the message, God is not mad about sin, are ambassadors for Christ. They're the only ones that when you come in contact with them, it's like, wow, you have a whole bunch of sin in your life. I don't care. I don't care what's going on in your life because God doesn't care. Why? Because he's the solution. I don't care about your problem. I have your solution. I'm not going to rip you off. I have righteousness to give you. I have peace to give you, and I have joy to give you. I don't know if you know this, but Australia kind of needs some joy. You have six suicides every single day. People are not mentally healthy in your country. And this kingdom, actually two-thirds of the kingdom, has everything to do with mental health, peace and joy. It's all mental health. Like, hey, righteousness, let's change you from a sinner to a righteous saint. Here, you're a new creation. You have the righteousness of God. You're good with God. You're right. You're righteous. You're right with God. Cool. Let's give you peace in your mind and joy in your mind. Let's make you peaceful and joyful. That's our kingdom. That's what they need. The only way we really bring them in, the only way we really bring them into our country as ambassadors and let them step foot in heaven on earth, in the embassy, is if we're carrying this thing. We're not mad. God's not mad. The only way all shall know him from the least to the greatest, he remembers your sins no more. When I lived in New York City, I remember I was driving down the road one day, and I get, I pulled up to this red light, and I'm driving, and I stop, and there's a, a African-American guy walking across the road. It was in Manhattan. He was, looks like a gangster. He's all, like, you know, thugged out. He's just, he's walking across. He's all serious, and I had this thought. I rolled down the window, and I go, bro, because in New York, you're not like, hey, could I talk to you for a second? You're not really nice. You can't be nice, or they won't listen. So, like, bro, hey. And he looks at me, I go, has anyone told you God's not mad at you? And he goes, and he starts crying, and he runs away from me. I'm like, oh, gosh. He ran away. I told this story in Washington. I love this. I love this. Like, come on, most people don't. That's not how they do evangelism. Most people don't do evangelism like, hey, did anyone tell you God is not mad at you? Most of the world thinks God is mad, and most of them have Christians that are saying it. All right, I'm going to keep going for a little bit. I told this story. I'm going to come back to this story. Just if I forget my place, we need to talk about Washington. But I live in, in right outside L.A. in Thousand Oaks. And a, in November, I believe it was November, 
somebody ran into a bar and shot up the bar. Like, full-on gun, killing people. People are dead. Like, right? It's really literally two minutes from my kid's school, eight minutes from my house. Like, somebody ran up into the bar with a gun and starts shooting people. I know you don't have that here. We have it in America. He runs in. He's killing people. Right two minutes from my kid's school. I'm like, oh, gosh. The next day, a fire starts, two fires start, and one of them burns thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. It burnt so much, it burnt 10 homes down on my street. It almost burnt my house down. I was out of my house for 31 days. We stayed in an Airbnb. We stayed at a friend's house. We stayed at a hotel, and we stayed at another friend's house. We were like, we had 31 days, three kids, all these animals. We couldn't go home because the fire burnt everything. We had no furniture. We had no furniture and no clothes for like two months because they had to take everything out. I like, hey, I need to buy some clothes, insurance company. They had to take all our clothes, all our books, put them in an ozone room to get the smell out because everything was so toxic. They took our beds. They took everything. Like we had no mattress, no beds, no blankets, no pillows, no, no clothes, no nothing because they had to take it all out. It was horrible, right? This is so crazy to me. My friend puts this post up and says, hey, guys, just beware. Tomorrow, this church, it's called Westboro Baptist Church. It's an American Baptist church, is coming to Thousand Oaks. I said, oh, I know these guys. Oh, no. They're coming to my city. You know what they did? They came to my city, and they held up signs. These are Christians. They held up signs that said, God sent the shooter. God sent the fire. Like, our, our whole community didn't even get to mourn the shooter killing people. We didn't even get to grieve. We didn't even get to mourn because everyone's like, oh, gosh, last night we had a shooter. Oh, no, today we have a fire. Quick, evacuate for a month. And we didn't even get to have proper mourning for the people who got killed until over a month later. Like, it was horrible for our community, absolutely horrible. And now these Christians are coming in, holding up signs saying, God sent the shooter, God sent the fire, it's because of your sin, God sent it. I'm like, no, no one's going to go into the kingdom. No one's going to go into the kingdom because who you're ambassadoring for right now is not Jesus. We have to get this. We have to get this. This depends on whether people actually come to Jesus or run from Jesus. They, the world looks at people saying God sent the shooter and goes, I do not approve of you. I do not want to make any transactions with you. I do not want your currency. I don't even want to come to your city. I don't even want to visit your country and try to make exchanges with you. I don't even want it. Why? Because they're not carrying the right message. Now, that's an extreme example that helps all of us see it really clearly. But I don't know if you know this. We just had two earthquakes right by my house. My house shook two days in a row. 6.2, 6.9. We're like, Wah. the whole beds are shaking. And guess what? You go on Twitter, God sent the earthquake. God's trying to shake California back into repentance. Like, no, no, the only new covenant earthquake you see in the Bible is when Jesus died, the earth shook, the rock split, and all the dead people came out of their tombs. New covenant earthquakes shake the dead back to life, not the living into their graves. Are you with me? Like, that's, that's, that's what happened when Jesus died and initiated a new covenant. He said, here, now my earthquakes are actually going to make dead people come back to life. So we take these extreme examples and we're like, oh, it's easy to tell. That's probably not the message of Jesus. Oh, it's easy to tell. You're probably not going to bring anyone, reconcile anyone to God because they don't even want him because you make him look like he hates them. That's an extreme example. But the crazy thing is, is like we can't have even a hint of that. We can't have any kind of a hint. We can't go up to anybody that's transgender and be like, you know what? God's kind of mad <laughs> about your stuff. We can't go anyone up to anyone who's homosexual and be like, yeah, God's kind of not happy with you. We got to show them, like, God's not mad about your sin. Because if I think God's mad about your sin, I'm in trouble. If I can't carry forgiveness for you, I'm not carrying forgiveness for me. If I think God's going to give you what you're des you deserve, then I'm going to get what I deserve. 
because I stepped out of his kingdom into another place. One more scripture for real, I promise, and we're done. Oh, Washington. So I was in Washington. I told, thank you. That's why I said it, because sometimes I forget and I don't come back. In Washington, I told the story about the guy in New York where I said, bro, has anyone told you God's not mad at you? He starts crying. He runs. I mean, he ran. This girl is like, all right, she, go, she leaves the church. I told this story. She leaves the church. She goes to Walmart or something. Do you guys know what Walmart is? Okay. She goes to Walmart. She's outside, and she sees a homeless kid. He's like, I think he was 22, and he's homeless, and he's got a sign, and he's trying to get money, and the Lord is like, go talk to him. And she's like, no, I'm not going to talk to him. She goes in Walmart. She's shopping, and the Lord is like haunting her, and he's like, just go tell him I'm not mad. Just go tell him I'm not mad at him. And she's like, oh, gosh, she's getting more and more nervous. And you know how, like, the longer you wait, the more nervous you become. So she's, like, doing all her shopping. She comes out, and the Lord is, like, on her. I think she even went to her car and tried to drive away, and the Lord was on her so much, she's like, fine, God, I'll go. And so she gets out. She goes back to the guy, and she walks up to him and goes, has anyone told you God's not mad at you? And he, and he says, I've had this happen, this happen, this happen. I'm 22, I'm homeless, my whole family's abandoned me, and I thought God hated me. And you just came and told me God's not mad. He's crying. She goes, tomorrow we have IHOP team coming to do prayer, and we have a Bethel team. Do you know who Bethel Music is? He goes, oh, I've heard of them. And he comes the next day. He's 22, he's homeless. She gets him a hotel, I think. He comes the next day, and this dude is like six hours in the prayer room. I mean, IHOP is from Kansas City. He's like playing worship, and he's just in there weeping the whole day and he's coming out and all the Bethel team are prophesying over him giving him prophetic words he's recording it on his phone I don't know how he was homeless and had a phone but homeless people in America have phones and and shoes and dogs and stuff like I don't know but he's recording all his prophetic words all for like six hours straight he's just weeping 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 he never had anyone tell him God's not mad He never had anyone tell him, God likes you. God cares about you. God's joyful. God's pleased with you. Even though your whole life's falling apart, he likes you. He's pleased with you. He's not mad. And I realize the power of this message. God's not keeping track of sins. That's what brings people in. Final verse for real. Then we can go home after we pray. This is Colossians. I asked the Lord, I like, Lord... The communist country will put up armed, armed guards, AK-47s, every 20 feet, trying to make sure, really trying to make sure nobody steps foot on that property. They really don't want it. They really don't want their people free. They really don't want their people under the different laws of America. This is such a crazy verse right here. This is Colossians 2. 13 it says and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross here's the verse Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. This is such a crazy verse because here's what it's saying. Having forgiven you all, how did he make us alive? He forgave us all trespasses. Then he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. You know what that is? That's the law. The law is don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't, don't, don't. And if you do it, the law keeps track of all of it. And this says, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. And when Jesus took the law, all the record of wrongs, all the sins, keeping track of all the sins, the whole file on our sins, when he took it and he nailed it to the cross and he pounds it on the cross, like Jesus wasn't the only one that died on the cross. He killed the law. He took all of it, and he nails it to the cross, right? And when he did, it's like he walked up to the devil and says, give me your gun. Give me your, he disarmed the principalities and powers. He made sure the enemy has absolutely no weapons to keep people from stepping into the kingdom. What happens when the church keeps track of sins? 
we give the devil back his gun and we say, go ahead and line up around the embassy and in the spirit realm, when we keep track of sins in the spirit realm, we actually put devils every 20 feet around the church, probably even more. We line the church with devils that have weapons and the weapon is the law. The weapon is keeping track of their sins and the world looks at the building and goes, I want to go in there. I heard that's a good kingdom. I heard that's a good king. I heard there's freedom there. I heard there's healing there. I heard there's love there. I heard I can get rid of this suicide suicide there. If I just get in that building, the suicide will leave me. The torment will leave me. The nightmares will leave me. If I just get in that building and they look at the building and go, oh, they're going to tell me how bad I've been. They're going to tell me how mad at me God is. They're going to tell me God's keeping track of my sins because in the spirit realm, there's a whole bunch of soldiers with guns going, haha, we have all your sins right here. Don't step foot on this property. No, we're not going to let you step in here and get healed. We're not going to let you step in here and get freed. Why? We're keeping track of your sins. This is, what we don't, this is what we must understand as a church. We must understand that if we actually carry forgiveness in our hearts, we rip down the spiritual, we rip down all the soul. We just totally, have, there's no soldiers keeping people from coming to God. When we keep track of sins, when forgiveness is not in our hearts, not only are we grumpy, <laughs> but we actually have spiritual beings outside blocking people from coming to him. I hope that all makes sense. That was a whole lot. But we're supposed, this is supposed to be a place and I know this is already happening. I've already heard stories. I've already heard stories of people in this building that go out and they're like praying for people and people are getting delivered and people are getting healed. And like that's an ambassador going out and it's supposed to happen here and it's supposed to happen with all of us all the time. People are supposed to come in contact with our lives and get totally involved in a different kingdom totally overwhelmed by a different government, totally overwhelmed by the king who's good, who's joyful, who's pleased. Are you with me? All right. So let's, let's we're going to pray for a couple things fast. It's not even 7 o'clock. It feels like it should be 9 o'clock or 9.30. Like, starting church at 5 p.m. is amazing. Come on. Like, we got time to have dinner, hang out, and still get a good night's sleep. I love it. Are you guys good that we're going, like, is this okay, like 7 o'clock? All right. Um, let's just, I just want to pray for some of us, like, I used to be a crazy drug addict. I was a crazy drug addict. I've been suicidal so many times in my life. I've been, I've been jacked up. I've been really jacked up. I don't deserve anything that I have right now, but somewhere along the line, I finally it finally hit me. My, my Jesus is not mad. My Jesus is not grumpy at me. He's not keeping track of my sins. And I have to actually forgive myself and let go of all my sins. Because if he's not keeping track of my sins, but I am, I'm absolutely in, in, in opposition to Jesus. If I'm keeping track of my sins when he's not, I'm opposed to him. I'm in direct opposition to him when he's trying to say, I'm not keeping track, and I'm keeping track. Here's another way to say this. If he remembers our sins no more, then if I'm hearing voices or having thoughts that remind me of my sins, it's not his voice, it's somebody else. If I'm having thoughts or hearing voices that reminds me of my sin, who I was before him, who I was before I stepped into the, his kingdom, if I'm hearing voices that remind me of that, he's not keeping track of them. Someone else is. And some of us are hearing voices and we think it's God. It's not. It's the enemy. Think about it. Why does the devil use the Bible? He wants you to think God's talking to you. The devil uses scripture against Christians so that Christians think it's God talking, so they follow the devil thinking they're following God. And he'll keep track of our sins, and we think it's God. It's not. 
the most important verse in the Bible. He's not keeping track. So here's what we're going to do. Real fast, if you have been having thoughts that remind you of your sins, if you've been hearing voices that remind you of your sins, if you've been holding on to your sins, and today you're like, oh, dude, God's not keeping, he doesn't have a file on me. If that's you, I want you to quickly just stand up. We're just going to pray for you. Because it's really hard to carry the forgiveness message to the world if you can't carry it for yourself. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the people who've stood. Come on, this is good. Like, it's not a bad thing. Like, I was the pastor that thought God hated everyone. So, please, like, I was a full-time pastor for four years and still thought God hated people. I did not know God actually loved people and liked people and actually was pleased. I had no clue. So, this is good. Just close your eyes. If you're standing, just close your eyes. And if you're next to them, will you just put a hand on them quick? We're just going to pray for them. Yeah, let's make sure everybody gets a hand on them. And let's pray this all together. Can we pray this all together so we're praying one big prayer? Can we just say, Jesus, you're not keeping track of my sins. You're not mad at me. You remember my sins no more. You nailed them all to the cross. You got rid of the file. You're not trying to get me in trouble. You're actually pleased with me. Jesus, you forgave me. You forgave me of all my trespasses. And right now, I forgive myself. I won't hold on to something you're not holding on to. I'm not going to listen to a voice that's not your voice anymore. Here's what I want you to say. Right now, I break my agreement with the accuser that accuses me, that reminds me, that tries to torment me, that tries to make me think he's me, that sends me thoughts. This sounds like my own voice. It's really him. I break that agreement that reminds me of my sins and my failures. I'm not going to listen to it anymore. Jesus, I only want to hear your voice that tells me who I really am, that reminds me you're not mad, that reminds me you're joyful. Thanks, God. Wow. Wow. God, I thank you for your kingdom that's just coming into these people's minds, into all our minds, that you're just coming in with righteousness, peace, and joy. I just pray peace into everyone's mind and joy into everyone's mind, that their mind would be overwhelmed with the kingdom of God, that you are citizens of the kingdom of God. You're a citizen of righteousness, peace, and joy. Whoa. Just let's pray for joy for them. God, just give them the oil of joy. Give these guys the oil of gladness beyond all their companions. They'll, they'll, they'll go from tonight. They'll go from feeling, feeling guilty, feeling ashamed for all their stuff, and they'll move right into feeling joyful, more joyful than everyone else. Wow. God, we pray for the oil of gladness on their, on their whole life, the oil of gladness more than anyone around them. Whoa. Whoa. Ha-ha. Yay, God, give them, give them joy beyond every single person around them. Whoa. Wow. God, make them dokinos. Make them people that the world approves of. 
Make them people that the world wants to do transactions with. Make them people that the world knows they're not getting ripped off. Wow. God, I pray that every person standing would have the real fear of God imparted to them right now. That they would have the real fear of God. That they would be afraid to stay away from you and that they would be afraid to hurt you, not afraid you're going to hurt them. That no one in this building would be afraid that you're going to hurt them. That no one in this building would be afraid to come to you. All right, in just a minute, we're going to, I don't know, we're figuring out how to do this. We want to pray for everyone and lay hands on everyone, and we want to do a little joy tunnel and just pray joy on all of you, that you would be more joyful than before, that you'd be more joyful than everyone around you. But before we do that, I want, would you just all stand real fast?